Welcome to Love Essie, the podcast. Hey everyone, it's me uh, with a new episode of the podcast. And this week, I am talking to you guys about a book series that I found when I read, um, what is it? You know, when you're reading a romance novel and you get to the end and sometimes depending on the publisher, there are like little blurbs or excerpts of other books by other authors. Sometimes depending on like, like really big name authors, there's either nothing or there's just blurbs of their other books. But for some authors, the publisher will use the opportunity to give you a preview of other books that they publish. So anyway, I say all of that to say that this week's episode, which is actually, I'm going to talk about four books because I feel like the four books are interconnected. So it's hard, at least for me, to talk about them without going through all four. Um, So this series is called The Grey Court. It's by Dana Marie Bell. And it was I feel like so technically what I read was the blurb of book three at the back of one of the elder races books so I had finished one of the elder races I think novellas um and you know got to the end of you know the book was like and kept reading and came across the blurb for book three and book three is called artistic vision and the 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 excerpt I was like oh yes I want to read this and then I borrowed it started reading and like page two or three I was like I'm lost I was like oh this feels like the kind of series that you have to read in order I feel like there are book series that each book is such a complete universe in many ways that you can read them alone like standalone sorry and then there are other series where it's like, girl, you going to be lost and confused and just like lost if you don't start at the beginning. Like you're just going to be like, hmm, okay, what, who, where? Um, so I was like, okay, this clearly feels like that kind of a series. And luckily the New York Public Library had the first four books in the series. So I was able to read the first four. <sighs> They don't have the other two, so I'm going to have to figure shit out for the the last two. But I was able to read the first four. So the first four books, I'm going to give you titles, and then um, I think I'll... Ooh, what is my phone doing? Sorry, I was, like, looking at one of my library apps, and it was, like, being strange. And I was like, I am confused. Um... But yes, the four books. Book one is called Dare to Believe. Book two is called Noble Blood. Book three, Artistic Vision. And book four, The Hob. Um, I'm not sure of the naming convention for the series. I don't know if there was... Sometimes books that are in a series, you can also tell based on, like, the way in which each title comes about. I don't feel the case for this, because it's not even, like... 
like I want to get all nitty gritty and be like, well, the first one is three words and the rest are two. The last one describes an individual, you know, the first three maybe describe an experience. Anyway, thank you so much for coming with me on this random um, ass tangent that you did not ask for. <laughs> You're like, no, okay, about the wine. But all, all I say to say, all I, wow, that's not what I meant. I say all of that to say, there we go, there we go. The words came back to me. Um, that this is a series very interconnected, even if to me, particularly, the titles don't feel that way. So this is a paranormal world. This is not a, um, it's, I would say roughly a contemporary paranormal world in that it's not set in the past and it is not set in such an alternate universe that you're like, a donde, where, uh, like, no, it's planet Earth. We're in the cities that we more or less recognize or whatnot. Um, and there's things like cell phones and, you know, like, modern day technology what I think is interesting um, so I'm going to try and talk a bit about them without spoiling them even though they came out a while ago guys so like really and truly I mean like first book came out in 2012 it's about to be 10 years old but I, I don't want to be a complete asshole and just be like swirling or like this whore um, so this is Okay, so when I say a contemporary paranormal world, like Nalini's saying it's paranormal, I wouldn't classify it as contemporary in that regard because, yes, A, both of her series are future, right? Um, The Side Changeling, like, I believe when this series starts, it's like, what, 2070-something? I mean, one day that'll be, you know, will be on par but we're not there yet um and the same thing with the the guild hunter I don't remember what year that one is set in we may be closer quote unquote in time to that one but they're very distinct and different again modern technology exists in both of those series and there are you can see maybe comparisons or parallels, whatever, but it isn't our world with paranormal elements in it. It's a world that looks like ours, but isn't quite. But it isn't also like literally another planet. It isn't, you know, we're on planet, you know, many letters and a few punctuation marks. We're still on planet Earth in that series, but an Earth in some ways, looks like the Earth that we know and recognize and has the same cities, but it is it is still, for me at least, because it's set in the future and so much is so different, and the paranormal is overt and blatant. None of it is hidden, right? In both series, people are aware of the non-human element. This series, the non-human element is hidden hidden from humans so humans are out here living their regular daily lives 
unaware that there are, you know, fae people, vampires, trolls, goblins, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They don't know that this exists. They live within the same world, but they have no idea. And the people who are of the paranormal world do live amongst humans, but are very, very clear on having to shield who they truly are from humans, with certain exceptions, of course. So this series, like a lot of paranormal types, like a lot of paranormal series that I read, has the faded meat trope, right? There are, each character has one or more persons that is like, their bond is going to happen because the universe deems it so, whatever. Um, it This isn't, um, what was I going to say? It's something that exists within this world. So our first book starts off with, our main character, our main lead character in that book, knowing that he's come across his mate and then like figuring things out. Now, this is where, what I think is really interesting is that this series started off in a way that I was like, oh, we're going here. And then it went in so many other directions I would not have expected from what I saw in book one. Book one, I mean, Whenever you have a series, book one has a lot of heavy lifting to do. It has to build the world. It has to explain what is going on or give enough information that you are hooked to continue reading and so that you understand the world that you are reading since it is not in a regular, regular um, world, right? But on top of that, it's romance. So you also expect there to be a romance and to see that develop. And there are books where... People feel, readers feel that the world building overshadows the romance or vice versa. You got a really great romance, but the world building was weak. And so you're kind of lost. I don't think that's what happens. I think that, again, this is, I'm also someone who reads a lot of this type. Like I literally had just finished reading, you know, a different, paranormal set in a contemporary but that mm, see but that paranormal I would for me the elder races is a lot more like Nalini Singh's books where the paranormal element is not hidden right so it's a world where people like me who are human are very much aware that there are are non-human elements in a contemporary world, I'm thinking uh, literally the world we live in today, there may be paranormal elements, but it's not uh, accepted, well-known, etc. Like, there are going to be people who are gonna be like, I believe in ghosts. There are many people who are like, nah, girl. There are many people, I believe in demons. And then we're going to be many people who are be like, nah, girl. Werewolves, that one's a stretch. I mean, I would love it, but like, I really am pretty sure that's not a reality. And if it is, like, if one day, if in, like, 2050, which is not that far away, which is terrifying, but whatever, it turns out that werewolves lived amongst us this whole motherfucking time, I hope that having read all these books, I'll be better prepared. Um, I may be sad, like, damn, will I find a wolf shifter mate? But I digress, I digress. So 
in this series, book one started out really like almost cutesy and fun. And then immediately I was like, hold up, where are we going? What is happening? And there were questions, lots of questions. Now, I wasn't aggravated. I was intrigued. So I kept reading. I think had I been aggravated, I might have been like, hmm. I also knew that I was really curious about book three. So I was like, okay, well, I got to get through book one and two so I can understand book three. Um, and I was very pleased with all four. Um, I'm trying to think. Is there really anything else I can say about the series without spoiling? Oh, I guess for those of you who are like, I want to know more about the series, but I do not want the spoilers. So there, I feel like there's a lot of found family in this series. Um, book one, you've got the female main character is not uh, a part of this paranormal world. So she's getting to learn all about that. You may be hearing my roommate's cat deciding to eat. Because of course, the entire time while I was not doing this, he was sleeping, but now that he hears me talking, he's like, mm, let's go interrupt with our yum, yum, chomp, 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 chomp. I mean, he's cute, and I guess he's allowed to eat, but good lord, I'm kidding. Um, book two, I think we start to see a bit more um, with those characters, and by book three and four, it is very clear that there is this aspect of found family, because a lot of the characters that we come across are having to leave their established families or are thrown out or lose them. Like there's so much going on in the actual world that is leading to all of this. Um, Again, the faded mate trope, if you like faded mates, I think you would enjoy this. Um, If you like a throuple, throuple, however you say it, book two, noble blood, um, we've got uh, three people, not one, not two, but three. Um, and I really liked how that played out. If you're into, you know, so what I also think is interesting is that this is a paranormal world that very much distinctly, okay, dude, really? He was like, let me get real, real close. And then like kind of see it. Like off, off with you. And he's like, and now it's just time for me to look at myself. He's so funny. Um, there are paranormal worlds that'll be like, it's all about shifters, and that's it. Or it's all about demons, and that's it. Or, you know. Um, and maybe this is why this excerpt was at the back of an Elder Races novella, because like the Elder Races series, there is there are multiple types of paranormal members, species, whatever you want to call them. There are shapeshifters, goblins, trolls, fae people, vampires, sirens, as in, like, you know, from the Wata. And I'm pretty sure there's, like, a few more that I'm missing because it's so expansive. So... This isn't necessarily a world, um, for example, the Black Dagger Brotherhood series. 
was pretty heavily vampire. I know that wolves, wolves have been introduced, and well, the simp, but the sympath are like, I feel like they're like a cousin of the vampire, and then the shadows, but like pretty, pretty sort of tight in terms of the paranormal um, types of groupings, or um, who's another that it's very sort of like. I mean, Lauren Donner's like, but then Lauren Donner's uh, species books are more about humanity doing something crazy and creating a brand new species. So it's, no, I don't know. Now I wonder, can that be classified as paranormal? Because the existence of that group has to do with the fact that humans were trying to like make other humans be like way more have animalistic traits for you know war and all that John so that because my your first or at least my first thought is like it's paranormal someone who looks like a lion but he isn't literally a lion shifter right the universe wasn't created in the sense that like there were people there were lions and then there were people who could be both lions and people no, this was, we we did weird fucking science shit, and that's how we came about, to have y'all. So, anyway, that's a whole other kind of water. But yeah, this, this series definitely has, um, I think, like, the Faded Mates, the fan family, are very, very big. I mean, I really like it, and... For example, the Hobb character, his, his name is Robin Goodfellow. Seeing how he builds his found family. And what I think is interesting is he isn't building it. on. It's not I'm expressly going out to find family. It's happening. And he's almost like, how is this happening? How are people choosing me? Wanting to care for me? Care about me? Like... I love that. I love when we get to see characters who pretty much are like I'm alone and as they acquire, you know, as they are as they acquire family and are acquired by families, they're kind of like how what I I lone wolf and their family's like, I mean, I guess if you want to, but like, you know, when you're done, come to Sunday dinner kind of thing and it's like, what? I have invitation to Sunday dinner? this win um I love that so we get to see that sort of progression from like book one where it's like nah lonely to like book four where it's like hold up (gasps) hold up there's a lot happening here yeah yeah um I'm trying to think of what else I can talk about this one like like spoiler 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 um I mean it's romances there's happily ever afters as I mentioned, should be read in order just because I think it really helps to understand and make sense of it all. Yeah, I think that's it. I can't think of what else without like really just like, okay, so I'm going to pause here and then I'm going to come back and then it's just, sorry guys, first book, 2012, I'm going to spoil it. And I'm sure you'll be fine. Alrighty, I'm back. I'm spoiling, but Grey Court, 
Dana Marie Bell, books one through four. So I'm going to start with book one, Dare to Believe. Our main characters are Leo. I don't know if it's Dunn or Dune. It's D-U-N-N-E. Think for the purposes of this podcast, I'm going to say Dune. Later, someone's going to be like, it's Dunn. And I'm going to be like, oh, well. Um, so we've got Leo, Dune, and Ruby Holloway. So this this book starts out. It I was like, oh, it's office romance because he's her boss. She works for him, and he knows that that's his mate because he, you know, the whole smell thing. In this series, you know your mate usually based on smell. Or at least in the case of Homeboy, that's how he knows. And he's half. I don't know if it's seed. Seed. It's spelled S-I-D-H-E. I'm going to call it half seed. He's half seed, half leprechaun. That's what I forgot to mention earlier. Leprechauns in this. I'm like, oh my god, yes, I love it. So while she's human and has no idea that this paranormal world exists. So in this, again, as I mentioned earlier, in this series, humans are out here living their day-to-day lives, not knowing that leprechauns aren't just, you know, a cute little character on the Lucky Charms box. They're real. Not knowing that vampires is real. You know, all them shits is real. So, this book really, one of the things that we learn in this book is that there is a conflict between Leo Dune, his family, and the Malmain clan. Now, our villain here, homegirl, like, she's one of the Malmain children. Ooh, it was awful. Terrible. Did not like her at all. And it was very, like, just messed up. What is that? Water. Whatever. Um, so what I think, this is why I was like, oh, this book started here and went there. It started out and I was like, oh, it's an office romance. And he's going to have to convince her, you know, that, like, they're mated. And she's going to be like, this is weird. And then it was like, and we brought all this, like, other stuff going on that, like, could lead to, like, like murder and death. And I was like, oh, this went darker than I expected and we really don't spend much time and I think the office is in New York and then his family lives I want to say Montana so like homegirl basically and by homegirl I mean Ruby ends up moving to Montana they end up together and she accepts him but I was like oh this is not what I thought now the cover for book one looks pretty dark it's like a white dude uh, a lot of hair. Um, his eyes are. Oh, are his eyes supposed to be green to signify he's a leprechaun? That just clicked for me. I was not even. I had not put two and two together. I almost want to say that he looks like um, what some people might consider beast in human form from Beauty and the Beast. You know, lots of hair. It's a little bit of a wave. Could be just limp and gross, but we can't tell. Covers like a bluish purple. So I guess from the cover, you wouldn't think cutesy office romance. But you start reading and you're like, because literally like there's a Halloween party. Her best friend who he has already spoken to and is kind of like, I'm interested in your friend, convinces her to dress up in a like little devil costume while the friend dresses up in a, um, what's it called? angel costume i'm like oh like we're we're gonna be doing this 
and then all of a sudden it was like we just like this is where we meet everybody or not everybody this is where we meet, meet ruby and leo we very very quickly leave that and then we're in this other part like we're in the paranormal side of the world and i was like oh okay and i wasn't expecting that so i think for me i was like uh, 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 all right um but i was intrigued um and i liked the two of them together i liked how they defeated the villain I was like, oh, okay, um, all right, I see. I was like, and Ruby had always had the hots for her boss, but, like, she just thought he was attractive. Um, it doesn't, we don't really get an explanation of whether or not humans are drawn to their mates without really knowing why. That, 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 they don't really go into that. So I don't know if that's a, the case. Um because our next example is a human is in book four, but there's like asterisks there. It's like human with an asterisk for her. So book two, right, is called Noble Blood. This book is the throuple book, the three. And so in book one, Leo is, I don't remember if Leo's the oldest or not. Why am I blanking on that? I I think his other brother, Shane, is the oldest. There are three Dune siblings. There's Leo, Moira, Shane. Each of them get a book. Oh, also conflict with the Malmain class is that their mother, so the mother of these three adults, was supposed to marry a Malmain. So she was supposed to marry the head of the Malmain, you know, or the, the son of the head of the Malmain. That son's name was Duncan. But she ends up meeting the leprechaun, whose name I think is Sean, falls for him and whatever. So then the Malmains are just like, the hell? Like, we had a contract, all that jazz. And it's like, well, we want Leo. And Leo's like, nah, I found my main. They're like, well, we don't care. And he's like, well, I don't care that you don't care. I'm not giving her up to end up with your, like, crazy whatever. And Duncan had no, was fine, was kind of like, okay, like, it's fine that you don't want me. We can figure something else out later. So book two. Now, this is going to be weird. But keep in mind, everybody in this series that's a paranormal um, individual lives like non-normal non-human lifespans so we're talking people been around a few hundred years because technically speaking duncan who was supposed to marry the mother of the dune siblings ends up mated to moira dune so the daughter and Jaden blackthorn so what's interesting is at the end midway through book one Jaden has to come snatch Ruby because stuff is going on. He does encounter Moira and is immediately like into her, attracted to her. Now, it doesn't seem like he's thinking mate, but he's definitely thinking this is a special woman and I can't wait. And he does something and they're connected. So I don't remember the reason why, but book two him and Duncan go back to the Dune family farm. Now, he 
was a vampire, Jaden was a vampire who's taken in by Duncan, right? He had been turned, I believe, against his will, didn't want to, like, kill anybody, was terrified that he was going to end up, like, you know, drinking a human to death, encounters Duncan, apparently, in an alley, and Duncan's, like, ends up basically taking him in. So they have a blood bond. So they travel to the Dune family farm to sort of be like, I think Duncan is kind of like, there's something about because Amalmine did try to snatch Leo's mate and all that jazz. It's like, oh, we just kind of want to try and make peace and get past all this craziness. They arrive. Duncan takes one look at Moira, who Jaden already has the hots for, and is like, she's my mate. And Jaden, who's a vampire, and it seems like this is not something that the vampires necessarily do, mating, is just like, oh, wow, uh, this man who's like my brother or like my, has found his mate, and she's this woman I was really into, but I'm not going to get in the way of that. So he's like, I'm going to just leave them alone because I don't want to see them together because that's going to be painful. What none of them realize is that Duncan and Jaden had basically the blood bond. Basically, Duncan, uh, because apparently there are people who can have like a tri-bond. Duncan is one of those people and didn't understand that in many ways he was bonded at a mate level to Jaden and doesn't realize until Jaden stops coming around and then he develops like mate sickness basically he's pining for his mate but he's not he's not aware that he's pining for his mate because he wasn't aware that Jaden was his mate and he only thinks that Moira is his mate but Moira also feels like something's off and it isn't until the three of them are together that it's like oh it clicks like oh and I think Moira also speaks to her mom was like well actually sometimes it's not two it's three and Moira's like wait what's girl, girl what um, so once all of that gets figured out, they're like, oh, and Jaden at first is like, that's some crazy dog. But Duncan and Moira are basically like, listen to us because we are right. Um, so Moira is also half seed and half leprechaun, right? Duncan is full seed and Jaden is vampire. Now in the series, it's called the gray court. In this world, we have three courts. A white court, a black court, and a gray court. The gray court is ruled by Oberon. It is the, he is the high ruler, and he rules over both the white and the black. The white court, which is full seed, um, led by some woman named Gloriana. The black court is actually led by his ex-mate, Oberon's ex-mate. What's her name? Titania. I always want to say Tatiana. It's not. It's Titania. And she did some weird stuff, I think, with demons and whatnot. Um, I think to, like, take all the power or some nonsense. So he's not with her anymore. And she does have vampires on her payroll. Now, the Great Court basically is very open to everyone. The White Court thinks that if you have anything to do with vampires or the black court you are basically a traitor for life even if 
it's unwilling and you must be put down um which is very like girl you're seeing things in such an extreme black and white um so duncan when we start in book one and when we start in book two is part of the white core but once it, he realizes that his mate one of his mates is a full vampire gloriana is just like nah uh-uh not in my court absolutely the hell the fuck not um so he ends up having to leave that court also a lot of his clan is doing all these crazy things and basically all these shenanigans that are going to end up leading to them being part of the black court so there's a group of malmains that end up defecting to the black court there's another group of malmains who weren't part of basically all this like borderline treason and shit so end up defecting to the great court so Jaden has always been part of the great court because Jaden right works for the hog whose name is Robin Goodfellow we meet him in book one and everyone's apparently terrified of him Ruby meets him and thinks he's so cool and Ruby and Leo's mother are probably the two well Leo's mother is also afraid of the hob um which is short for hobgoblin um but Ruby's just like I mean he does help them and so she she's the first character that we see that fully accepts Robin Goodfellow for who he is and what he is and is not like um fearful of him and so this is the first moment that we see him sort of getting his found family happening and then it grows from there so book two we've got the circle um now they're having to deal with the fact that the Malmain clan is you know has split into factions and Gloriana is like absolutely not can you meet with a vampire and everything that that entails because the Malmains are still trying to get with a doomed sibling because it turns I believe it's in that book that we find out Mm, it might be book two, it might be book three, that there's a prophecy about a doomed child. And they think that it's a child born, that it's not a child that has been born yet. It's a child that is to be born. They want to have a hand in that prophecy. And so are like, we must have someone who ends up with a Malmain. But of course, it's someone that they want to be able to manage. And Duncan isn't one of those people. Book three, which was the book that drew me in, the excerpt that drew me in, Artistic Vision, is Kane Russo and Shane Dune, right? This is the last Dune sibling, and again, he's half seed, half leprechaun, she's half dragon, half seer. So there's the seer, and that's her mother, and her father was a dragon. And she works for the Hobgoblin as a blade. So does uh, Jaden. So Jaden and Akane are two characters. So we start to learn that the Hobgoblin, right, basically is right-hand man to Oberon, the High King. And he has a network of informants, spies, agents, whatever. They're called Blades. Jaden is one. Sen now so is Akane. And Shane is this like ridiculously talented artist who is able to craft visions. 
So I thought it was really interesting that you take someone who is half seer, a.k.a. she sees things like her mother, and pair her with another character who isn't, you know, seer, but also can see visions, right? We've got... I, what I like about that is that both characters can understand how seeing whether it's the future or the past or whatever impacts you on a daily basis. You're not with someone who has no understanding of how this can impact you both in a positive and negative way. You're with someone who is very clear on how you can see things and, you know, how do you then go about dealing with what you've seen? You know, do you let people know? Do you not let people know? All of that. And I would say out of all of the Dune siblings, um, Shane, because he's able to see so... He's able to... I feel like as a character, he was able to both see a lot and not see a lot. He ends up in a lot uh Oh, I completely forgot. Book one right, we're have all this, you know, what looks like an office romance, and it's interrupted because Leo gets a call that his brother has been kidnapped. There we go. Fully forgot that that's what happened. The Melmanes had kidnapped Shane because they wanted Leo, and we're like, well, we'll give you your brother back if you give yourself over. Anyway, so sorry, guys. So, but Shane allowed himself to be kidnapped because he had seen that this was something that needed to happen in order for certain situations to come about. Um, So I was like, oh, okay, interesting. So book one, I felt like it was, like I said, it started very like, oh, it's going this way. Then all of a sudden I was like, no, a hard left, you know, a bit of a twist, a turn, a tumble. And I was like, oh, wait, where am I now? What is happening? This is very interesting. So that, you know, by book three, I'm like, oh, okay. There's a lot going on in this world. A lot that I don't understand. Um, And I don't know how it's all going to get tied up, right? In this this book, we find out that the Hobgoblin, Robin Goodfellow, is also going to find, like, there's a vision of him finding his mate, but also his mate dying and him literally decimating the world, almost, it looks like. So it's like, oh, you know, there's that, um, is it foreshadowing? Because it's very, like, we know, but we also don't know how this happens and what happens and how all everything comes about. So by book four, right, The Hob, which is Robin Goodfellow and Michaela Exton. Now, Michaela is human, but as I mentioned earlier, she's human asterisk human with an asterisk because she's not full human in that she is she has ancestry from a specific group that technically no longer like walks the earth called the Tuata de Danan I know I butchered that but whatever but she has that blood flowing through her now Earlier when I was like, oh, I don't know if it's clear. I don't know if humans have feel a special affinity to their paranormal mates. Um, because, I mean, Ruby thought that Leo was hot, but also like hid from him because she you know, didn't want to get in trouble 
with the boss thinking that she was drooling over him. In the case of Michaela, she has been dreaming about robbing Goodfellas since she was a child. This is a character, this, this man has existed in her dream world since she was a child. Now, when Robin meets her, he's technically trying to figure out how to get back some other guy that has been kidnapped. So he's not even, but he knows that, like, he's been sent by Oberon the High King, but it's this whole, you know, like, Titania would, like, fully butcher homeboy who she's kidnapped if the truth comes out kind of thing. So she, so sorry, not she. So Robin isn't there as himself. He, so Robin as a hobgoblin has the ability to shapeshift to anything. So he shapeshifts as a woman often. Um, he shapeshifts as different men. So he first meets Michaela and he looks something like himself and he's going by the name Ringo. Uh, I will say that when he, ends up telling her the truth of who he really is. She's not, like, horrified. She's almost glad because she's attracted to both him and Robin Goodfellow, who she's basically been in love with her entire life. And so she's kind of like, it's more of a relief, like, oh, cool, I'm not in love with two men, and what will that do to me? It's like, oh, it was always the same guy. Now, what we find out in this book is that Robin has children. Robin didn't know he had children because Titania is up to something and has been snatching his children. So Robin has never had a mate. He he meets his mate in this book. That does not mean that Robin's been a celibate choir boy, people. No, that's not how that works. So Robin's been out here, you know, doing his thing and getting women pregnant. But Titania has been snatching those women and babies almost immediately. So he is unaware. So there's a character whose name I believe is Raven. Yes, it's Raven. He ends up finding out there's Raven and another guy. He finds out these are his children, right? And Raven is all like, you threw us away. And Robin's like, I had no idea you even existed. Had I known, I would have come for you kind of thing. So I definitely, when I finished that book, was like, oh my God, what is book five? I need it. What is happening? Because it's like, what does Titania know? Or what has she been up to that she keeps snatching the women who end up pregnant after they've spent time with Robin? And like, what is she up to, right? Um, And Raven, Robin's son does get a book. I believe book six is his. So anyway, by book four, it's like, whoa, we're in this world. And it's fascinating because Michaela is like attending this like, like fairy con. Like it's this convention of like humans who like dress up as fairies, but then like real fairies are there, you know, real trolls are there, real, real paranormal creatures are there, not creatures, sorry, species, groups are there and the humans are fully, fully unaware of it, right? Um, and Michaela does suffer a mortal injury, but Oberon is able to do something to pull on, I guess, that Toisa de Danan blood and 
basically bring her back to life. Which is great because if he had not been able to do that, there would have been um, untold destruction from both Robin and Raven. Because Raven is, it's interesting at first when we don't know that Raven is Robin's son. It's like both of these guys were crazy powerful and everyone is scared of them or attracted to her and all this. Um, But for Raven, I think it's more of Michaela is just so good and kind to him and to and she she is able to sense like the goodness in people and but also you know the not goodness in people and so she's never she doesn't react to either Raven or Robin in fear she I mean Robin because she literally has been dreaming about him her whole life and Raven because at some core level she knows that he won't ever hurt her because this is one of Robin's children. And so the idea is that not all of his children are completely lost to Titania and her crazy goals. Um, so this series, right, like it's got to be like a lot of twists and turns. And as I keep saying, I feel like it's really, really interconnected um, I don't think this is the kind of series that you can read without reading all of the books because you just get lost. Now, I will say, steam wise, it's steamy. Um, it's not, there's no faint of black, there's no closed door. No, there's some scenes I'm like, okay, my, yeah. let me just get a fun, spritz myself like Blanche Devereux. Um, and I I really enjoyed it, right? And I'm going to, like, figure out how to get the next two books. Um, because it's just, like, whoa. And the world is very, like, there's so much going on. It's very action-packed. Um, but I think in a good way. <sighs> Do I have any other thoughts about this? I mean, I do think that if you've never read Paranormal, I mean, I do think it's a good entry point because it's, I, there's a lot that you don't know, but you learn as you go. Um, and so I don't think it's a series where it's like, oh, if you don't know anything about Paranormal, you're just going to be completely lost. I think you're just going to be very much like, oh, wow, this is what's happening in this world. If this ends up being your first paranormal, it will end up being sort of, in some ways, a standard in how you judge others, right? I mean, what was my first paranormal? Was it Jerry Ward? Might have been. All right, but Jerry Ward was so, when I first started reading, was like the first, like, eight, ten books, or the first, like, at least six to seven books. No, maybe eight to ten books. Or just strictly vampires. We know that there's, like, the shadows, and they operate differently from vampires, but not, uh, it, it's not as clear. And so that felt very, you know, specific um, because there are paranormal books where that's, there's just one paranormal um, grouping, right? Vampires or were- werewolves or just a shifter of some kind. There's just nothing nothing else 
Um, but this is a world that's like, no, we've got leprechauns, we've got fey people, we've got um, hobgoblins, you know, vampires, sirens. So book five, it's uh, Oberon, the high king, and a siren, right? And Oberon is a man who had a mate, but his mate basically becomes completely evil. So, of course, this is... This is a story of, like, what happens. Because within um, the fated mate sort of, you know, I want to say lore. I don't know if that's the correct word, but that's what I'm going with. Usually, a character that is mated to another character, the separation or death of that pairing is... Oh... I was going to say astronomical, and that is not the word at all. That's so far from right. It's just complete, utter devastation. That's where I was going. Don't say Anyway, right? Um, and very often when you're reading, it's like if your mate is gone or y'all are, it, you know, if that bond breaks, it can usually lead to death for one or both parties. Um, and usually what will break a mated pair is death. The idea is that there's nothing but death that can break them. But in this series, clearly something else happened for this pair to completely break. But they're both alive. You know, she rules a court. He rules above her. So what happened there? What's going on there? And having had a rupture like that, wouldn't it then mean that he could then end up with a new mate, right? Because often it's like, oh, well, people, you know, characters mate for life, but, like, if the bond is destroyed, not just, but just, you know, completely severed, does that not then allow for their, for the possibility of another mate? Because obviously in a contemporary, you know, everyday romance right characters that fall in love and are married and uh, and their significant other passes there are many romances right of that that widow or widower um falling in love with a different character because the idea is that maybe you can be lucky enough to have more than one great love to be loved and to love more than with you know, this one person, especially when this person has passed on, right? And then, of course, when couples just break up for divorce, like, whether it's an amicable divorce or it is not, it's like, well, that doesn't mean that just because you're divorced, it's the end. But in the sort of faded mate trope, the idea usually is, is that you have a mate. Or, depending on the world you're reading in, you have potential mates, but once you and, you know, your essence, your being picks one, that's usually like, you know, that's it, my friend. No more, no mas. This is it. Eh, don't know what else you are looking for. This is, um, you get one. Okay. Um, but that's not what we're getting here. So we're going to get to see what happens when we have this character 
who was mated and lost his mate. And she ain't dead, she just evil. And how he ends up with a whole brand new one who's a siren. So, you know, nothing like him. But yeah, no, I did really, and I've been enjoying the series. Um, I can't wait to read the rest of the books and then talk about the rest of the books because, you know, that's what I do. Talk about books. Um, I keep telling you guys that I'm going to give you an episode about the other Elder Races novellas that is coming. I also have two other historicals that I've read that I have to talk about. So those episodes are coming too. But I'll let you know. I lied. Three historicals that are coming up. That I think are all going to be solo episodes. Yeah, they are. Um, but coming, you know, in the next couple weeks, I'm going to be talking about Evil Lay or Evil Lee's um, My Fake Rake. Okay, if you have not read that, go out and read it. I didn't know what to expect, but it was so good. Oh, my God. Top tier, friends. Top tier. I absolutely loved it. Um, Wolf in Duke's Clothing by Susanna Allen is both historical and paranormal. So basically two things I love. I uh, I have many things to say about that one as well. So, so keep your ears, ears open for that. And Scoundrel of My Heart by Lorraine Heath. Now this I read because I had heard that the second book that just came out, The, Ju- the Duchess Hunt, was really good. And I was kind of like, well, I'm going to read the first book. And I enjoyed it. Mm, there were moments when the heroine, our female main character, I would have um, walked up and maybe been like, yo, what is your problem? Use your sense. But there weren't that many moments. But there were a few. But there weren't that many. And so now I've put the Duchess Hunt on hold. I can't wait to read that um, and see what happens there. But yeah, those, those three historicals are coming your way as well as the Elder Races novellas that I read, which now I'm realizing may have been five of them. Don't, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. All right. I'm going to pause here, and then it'll be time for Gratitude Attitude. Whee! All right, friends. It's time for Gratitude Attitude. Basically, three things I'm grateful for this week. So, first is... I've been re-watching The Golden Girls um, because why not? And it just makes my lunch break. I tend to often watch um, during my lunch break so that I, like, actually eat my lunch and don't do work. And it's just, like, they're so funny. I enjoy it so much. It just makes me feel so good when I'm, like, watching and laughing and enjoying it. So it's just I'm really grateful that it's on Hulu, and I can watch it, and I can enjoy um, the peace that it brings. The second thing that I am grateful for, so I feel like I've mentioned this before, but in case I hadn't, um, I am a huge Dermot Kennedy fan. Um, he's an Irish singer. His first um, album, Without Fear, came out 
two years ago, I think October 4th, like two years from that. And it is such a, like, that album came out and I'm pretty sure I listened to it on repeat the rest of 2019. Um, It came out in October and he was my top artist for the year of 2019. That's how much, how heavily I listened to him. Um, And so the fan community, which is fucking fantastic. There's a discord server um, and Everyone is so cool, is so nice. There was like a listening party today to listen to the Without Fear album, like, you know, like a happy second birthday with um, some app. I don't know, it was complicated or it sounded complicated, but whatever, it was a lot of fun. And everyone is so nice and so kind. And I absolutely love it. Like, I love his music and the people who are fans are also just amazing. And there's like a, a number of fan pages I follow um, and they are also just absolutely wonderful. So I'm just like over the moon. And the last thing that I'm grateful for this week. So there's this like supermarket kind of near me that I discovered, not that near me, whatever. I just discovered it not that long ago. Anyway, they, in their yogurt section, had these little mousse cups. There was a white chocolate, a hazelnut, dark chocolate, and a passion fruit. I'm not a big dark chocolate fan, so I haven't bought that one. I first bought the white chocolate and the hazelnut. The white chocolate was good, but it was almost too much white chocolate. You know what I mean? Like, that would have been good with other stuff, but on its own, too much. The hazelnut was actually pretty impressive. But the passion fruit? The passion fruit? The passion fruit? Listen, it is so delicious. And I'm like, this shit is not cheap. It's $3.99, a little tiny thing. That means that I don't want it to be any bigger because if it was any bigger, I'd probably get sick. But it is so, so good. So what I've been doing, what I've been doing is I go out and I like walk for at least half an hour Yesterday, I actually didn't realize I ended up hitting four miles. Like, when my Apple Watch was like mile four, I was like, mile four? What has that happened? But I don't care because I treated myself to the little passion fruit mousse. And it was glory. It was divine. It was, oh, just heavenly. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's, it's, I'm grateful that I found that. And that they have it, and that it is just everything I could have wanted and more. Cause I love, I love, like I love creme brulee, I love panna cotta, I love flan, I love custard, I like that kind of shit. I just do. And yo, that mousse, ooh, my mouth is watering just thinking about it because it is so good, so good. So so good. Um, I don't have the brand name because I ate that and threw out the cup. But I will post a picture of it on Instagram soon because I know I'm gonna go back and get another one. Um, I just I'm you know I'm gonna walk four miles and then I'm gonna get one because I walked four miles. And that's my treat for walking. 
Um, but yeah, that's all I have for you guys this week. Um, can't wait to see. There will be an episode the following week. I will not. I will. I, I'm getting my shit together. But I will have an episode for you. Um, Mondays, of course, because yeah, the Wednesday was just it's it's no click, it's no good. Um, but the Monday I can do. And yeah, have a wonderful week. Uh, let me know what you guys are reading, what you guys are loving. Oh, also, the other thing I'm really grateful for. I know I said three, but this is just just one more, just one more. Um, Archangel's Light comes out on October 26th. I'm on the email blast letter, newsletter, whatever, from Benjamin Random House for anything about Nalini Singh. Um, I'm on Nalini's newsletter, but I also, Penguin, that's the one thing I will accept from Penguin. I'm like, okay, fine, you can email me about Nalini Singh. Well, do you know what they emailed about? An excerpt of Archangel's Light, and oh my god. Oh my god. Oh, like, listen, I... I'm going to watch that book download onto my phone at 12 midnight on 10:26, and I don't know if I'm going to get any sleep. Thank God I work from home. I don't think I'm going to get any sleep because that excerpt, just the excerpt, it's words, words. I don't have them. I do not have the words for what I read. I mean, I have sounds. <laughs> oh my God, I'm sure all that sounded terrible, but it's just, <sighs> I know that it is going to blow my mind. I know it. And I cannot, I cannot wait, friends. I cannot wait. I might just reread Archangel's Son this week in preparation. I might do that. I like the sound of that. All right. Well, thank you guys again for listening, for hanging out with me, for letting me um, speak sultry words into uh, your ears, your earbuds, your headphones, your speakers. And I will talk to you guys next week. Okay, bye.